I grew up on a dairy farm in New Zealand. The, um, the cow you can see on this slide here is um, all I knew for probably 15, 20 years um, until I sort of received an education and, and started my career. And that was sort of 20, 22 years ago. And I now consider myself a, um, a, a commercial property debt or finance specialist. Um, and I'm very lucky to surround myself um, at people at Qualitas with some of the best sort of real estate minds in the country. So um, it's always um, timely that sort of we're here and, and I guess what I'm posing to you is arguing the point that now may be the, now may be the time to consider commercial real estate debt um, for your portfolios. So the things that I'd like to cover um, on uh, sort of over the next 15 to 20 minutes and that's around private debt and how it's a well-established asset class. We've all known about it. Um, it's been a strong asset class for income and commercial real estate debt fits within that segment. I want to show you how big the sector is um, and how um, you, know, you can get quite strong risk-adjusted returns out of the sector and also how it's largely controlled by the major banks, certainly here in Australia, and how that compares to the rest of the world as well as commercial real estate debt provide not just income, but capital preservation and portfolio diversification. So hopefully by the end of it, um, you know, you'll agree with me that now may be the time to consider commercial real estate debt. So how big is the market? If you believe the numbers that come out from ASIC and RBA, the commercial real estate debt market is about 424 billion. That came from the last financial stability report in, in October. And non-bank lenders or alternate lenders, um, such as Qualitas, occupy around 10% of the market. Now, that's at a pretty um, strong growth rate. If we wind it back to December last year, uh, non-bank lenders or, or alternate lenders had around 7% of the market. So that's a $15 billion increase. And you know, a 10% market share for alternate lenders in Australia, comparing that to the rest of the world, the US non-bank market is 62%. So that means the normal trading banks in the US hold 38% of the market. So there's a long way to go before we're up there. Global standards is 48, Europe 53. So in Australia and, and New Zealand for that matter as well, um, it is, it's got a long way to go. It's got a huge amount of growth and the, the volume of capital flowing into this market um, from the US, from Europe, um, uh, and, and, and from Asia as well, is quite phenomenal. Um, so growth, I, my personal opinion on it, I think we're going to be at around 15 to 20% market share within the next 5 to 10 years. So that's quite a significant growth. And obviously the, the pie is going to be a lot bigger as well. So what's driving it? There's two things. The commercial real estate property market is obviously growing. Um, and if we look at, and, and transaction volumes are growing, values are growing as well. So if we look at December last year, uh, there were $19.6 billion worth of commercial property traded in Australia. Now, that most of those transactions will need to be funded somewhere. And what we're seeing is we've got this sort of, um, uh, we've got commercial property volumes going one way and we've got the trading banks being the big four banks as well as overseas banks going the other way with how they want to fund. Uh, they've got to apply more capital to transactions. Trading banks have uh, got more rigid policies, more um, uh, you know, regulation put on them by ASIC, um, APRA. So we've got 
this, this gap widening from what it is now at 10% to what we think is going to be 15, 20%, and that void's got to be filled by someone. Um, and that's largely uh, non-bank funders um, or, 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 or private funders. But it's not without risks, and what I've tried to demonstrate on this slide is just where I think it sits in terms of risk for income products. Um, and it's you know, obviously uh, more risky than, than, than government bonds or, or term deposits, slightly more risky than, than sort of government debt, but obviously a lot less risky than, than equities, hybrids or subordinated debt. And why? Because you're secured. Any commercial real estate um, debt product is, is secured by a real mortgage. You've got a real property mortgage. And I've probably overcomplicated the capital structure there, but uh, it just shows you all the different uh, um, items in the capital structure. Typically, you've got a first mortgage um, and then equity in a commercial real estate transaction. So if there's a dip in, in value in property, the equity gets hit to a level, um, or God forbid, the, the lender needs to take over the property. Your mortgage is always paid first. That's, that's sort of how it's structured. So you've got that capital preservation technique uh, or characteristic, sorry. Um, I thought I'd take you through just at a high level just how the commercial real estate sector as a whole is performing and any manager of commercial real estate debt will likely have all five of these different asset classes within a debt portfolio. Some obviously have higher risk than others at the moment depend depending on where you are at, up to in the cycle. Um, but I just wanted to illustrate, and all of these sectors as well will have um, subsectors in them as well. So some may be performing, some subsectors might be not performing. But overarching, I've just tried to give a sort of a general view of the commercial property market at the moment. So residential, in terms of commercial real estate debt, what is classed as residential is multi-dwelling. So that's either apartments being built, developed, um, sold or the build-to-rent sector, which is quite a, quite a new sector to, to Australia as well. So this market's performing very well. It's no secret, you'd see it in the media. Um, but what I'm sort of targeting is probably unit sales. Completed units and developments are selling exceptionally well at the moment. And there's a case study, which I'll go on to, uh, talking about a residual stock loan, that this part of the market is performing very, very well. Pre-sale market, still, um, a little bit challenging, um, but it is starting to come back as well. So people are wanting to buy completed, well-located apartments at the moment. So that market performing very well. Industrial, um, no, no secret that it's the darling of the, the market at the moment. Everyone's all over it at the moment. The onset of COVID's obviously um, increased the last mile distribution. Warehouse space is very difficult to get. Yields are exceptionally low. So as a, as a manager of commercial real estate debt, you know, you, you look into that and how you're lending against it and what yields and are yields priced into, you know, for three, five year growth, um, you know, has the property reached its, its, its full value yet? All those types of things uh, need to be considered. But it is performing very well. There is a lack of industrial property in the market at the moment um, and it's, you know, forcing uh, occupiers of industrial property to seek sort of B and C grade property. Um, there is a lot coming on to the market, so that also needs to be considered as well, future supply of, of, of not just industrial property, but all, all property. I'm neutral in office at the moment. It's uh, no secret, you're probably going through it in your own businesses at the moment, how much office space do you need? 
um, how much office space do you want for your, yourself, your employees, but um, my long-term view on office is that it's sound, there's a, there's, a, there's a place for office, but it doesn't hide the fact there's going to be 12 to 36 months of probably a little bit of income uncertainty for office owners. Um, office owners, in my view, are, are, are long-term play. They're not, they're not in and out in 12 months in, on an office building unless you're repositioning it quite quickly. But, you know, office, office owners, you know, the 10-year view on office is strong. But, you know, uh, people who occupy offices are working out, do they actually need 500,000 metres of office space or do they need 400,000 metres of office space? Um, do they want to be moving to a fringe office location? You know, in Sydney there might be Alexandria, in Melbourne it might be Cremorne or Richmond, get a little bit more space, um, bit cheaper, better amenity to attract talent, all those types of things. In the areas of increased risk, again, probably no secret to you all, but accommodation, hospitality, been through the ringer the last two years. Um, you know, how you know, CBD hotels perform very poorly, CBD you know, hospitality um, places, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, perform very poorly. But in saying that, regional hospitality and accommodation perform very well. So little subsectors perform exceptionally well due to, due to no, uh, no overseas travel. So is that going to come back to the uh, accommodation market? Who knows? I think I read a stat yesterday that there were 50 flights came into to Sydney on the first day that it opened, and I think it peaked at 320 flights. So jury's out on that. Retail, again, um, inner city retail performing poorly. Um, a lot of retail centres getting repositioned. But again, in a subsector, neighbourhood retail is performing exceptionally strongly. If you've got a non-discretionary retail centre anchored by a Woolworths, a Coles, an Audi, a bottle shop, pharmacy, performing exceptionally well. So different areas performing well. We're going to see probably a lot of retail centres uh, reposition themselves um, and you know, try and obviously grow their, their income. So how do we build a, or how does a, a I guess a non-bank manager run and safeguard against losses building a, a, a debt portfolio? The, the quickest and easiest one is, is LVR or loan to value ratios and typically with commercial property loan to value ratios are around 50 to, to 75%. 75% LVR is what I would term as quite high for a commercial property, uh, any commercial property. Um, but you know, if you were anchored to a, a government lease or something like that, that's you know slightly different. So, when you're researching, you know, is it, is it time for you to invest in this? Um, you know, always look at what the portfolio LVR is. Um, secondly, is it focused on senior debt or is it focused on mezzanine debt? Um, obviously, a stronger focus on senior debt um, allows you to be repaid first for, for something to go wrong. Um, Geographic diversification, that's key. If you're looking at a portfolio, understanding the geographic location of the portfolio you're investing in, I think is really important. Is it all in Melbourne? Is it all in Sydney? Are they overseas that you know nothing about? So how much is how much are you you know, how much do you know about the geographic location? Again with sector, going back to the last slide, is it all in residential? Is it all in industrial? You know, is that a risk? Or is it well balanced, you know? And and as with anything, as we all know, diversification is the key to, to, to managing those risks. And I guess the, the another key one is tenor, the bottom one. You know, short dated tenor at the moment is quite important. We've got a rising interest rate market. So the shorter dated your loan is allows you to reset the loan if required. If it's a fixed rate, you can move it from a fixed rate to a floating rate. 
Therefore, any interest rate rise is going to be passed on directly to the borrower. Um, but you can also revalue the property as well in a rising market because whilst rising interest rates particularly don't have too much of an impact on, on lenders because you just earn more interest, um, it, does, it does have a, obviously an impact on some property values. So the shorter the tenor, you get to revalue the property. So just a, a case study, a, quite a simple case study of a, of a sort of a typical um, non-bank loan um, at the moment. This, is, this, is, this type of lending is quite popular with non-bank lenders as it's just not in favour of the bank purely because there's no income being generated off the asset. So this is an apartment building, 140 units, uh, 90 were, were pre-sold off the plan. They all settled, the, the, the building finished completely, the 90 units were settled, the contract, construction debt was sold and the developers left with 50 unsold units. So a loan was provided, typically at 65% um, against, that, uh, against that security to allow the developer sort of embedded profit and equity in, his, in, in, in the asset itself and allow them to go on and do other things. But it also allowed them time to sell the, the unit development down in an orderly fashion. Rather than putting 40 or 50 units on the market at once, they could sort of sell one to, th one to two a week. Um, interest is structured, so you want to make sure you're always getting your interest. So interest is taken um, at the start of the loan to ensure that you're getting paid on a monthly basis. It, it, it doesn't sort of capitalise as, as a lot do. Um, and, it, it's, and you can earn probably three to four times what sort of bank, um, bank margins are offering. And developers are willing to pay for that certainty of debt capital um, that they just can't get from a major trading bank at the moment. So there's a little bit in that, um, it's sort of a very high level for you, but I guess if there's three key things I want you to take away um, from this is the market is over $400 billion and providing pretty strong risk-adjusted returns for, for non-bank lenders. Um, provides regu regular income, uh, diversification and obviously um, uh, being able to, to sell the property and retrieve your, uh, retrieve your loan um, offers that sort of capital preservation as well. And the fact that private debt is a well-established asset class um, and commercial real estate debt is just becoming more, um, I guess, accessible to, to, to end users, if you like, for income. Um, there's a lot of reading you can do. Um, I highly recommend you going and, and, and viewing this, making your own minds up. Um, you can sort of take, take my view on it, but you know it's it's it is a new asset class for a lot of people. Um, there's a, there is a lot to learn in it. There's, there's um, you know people that do it typically stay in it for a very long time. Each transaction you do teaches you a lot of things, but there's also some really good reading as well. Um, so there's some homework there for you as well. And hopefully once you've finished all that, you'll agree with me that now maybe the time to consider real estate debt, commercial real estate debt for your portfolios. Well, just to start off, how, how should investors think about the illiquidity premium um, involved? Like, what kind of level is that through the cycle? Uh, liquidity of, of the investment? Well, the illiquidity yep. premium that you get paid for investing in private debt. Yeah, so, I mean, you can, you can have it as a, a, a listed fund, is it? Or, which is obviously, obviously liquid, you can sell in and out of the secondary market. Or, if, mm. you know, if you're happy to have it sort of... A lot, lot of places will have it as a six-month, 12-month, 24-month lockup. So mm. um, you are 
you know, your funds are um, locked away typically for, for 24 months, um, but you are getting paid monthly as well. So that, that, that is a positive on it. All interest is, all interest generated is, is, is typically passed through. So, um, or you can go with a listed product that, you know, you do get that liquidity to be able to trade in and out of it yeah. as you see fit, yeah. Okay. Mm. Nick, my understanding is the private debt market's quite tightly held, very relationship-based. Um, a lot of the participants have kind of come from uh, the banking space. So mm. I guess what's your competitive edge in terms of that kind of pipeline and deal sourcing? Yeah, look, it is. Um, it's, it's very relationship driven. Any, any commercial property owner or investor or developer, you know, they need to be sure of their debt capital. It's very important to them, mm. whether that comes from a bank or, or a non-bank institution. They, wa- they want certainty. Mm. So typically... Um, you know, at Qualitas, we've got a, a, a pretty large investment team. It's, it's sort of half the half the company, or sort of 25 people that have all had sort of deep relationships from these developers. And mm. when we're assessing someone to give a loan to, we want to know that those developers, you know, haven't come off the street mm. two years ago. They've weathered a GFC. They've weathered a couple of storms. They've, you know, they've been in a f- few bit of, uh, you know, they've had a few minor issues, but they've managed to come through them. So. Um, it's very important to, to me as a, as a lender that, you know, that, that integrity is done and, you know, I've been in the game 20, 20 years, so those relationships are very, very important. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Just final question for me. So how do investors take comfort in the credit assessment process given there's no ratings from an S&P or Moody's and so on? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very sort of open about how we assess it and I guess the, the comfort level... Um, comes down to success, right? And, you know, Qualitas has been around 13 years. Um, and um, you've got to do your research on your manager. But we've, we've actually never uh, appointed an administrator on any, any one of our loans, which is, which, which is quite a feat. But that's not everyone. Mortgages are not mortgages. Every, you know, mortgages are different. There's a reason why people will pay 12% for a mortgage and there's a reason why they'll pay 6% for a mortgage. And that's the risk premium in it. So... Make sure you do your research on that. It's it's really important on you know the length of time the manager's been around, you know how they do it, you know our segregated duties, all that type of thing. I'm part of the investment team. I've got a risk team and I've got an investment committee, and they're all very different people, and nothing gets done or funded without going through all three paths. So, do your homework, research the governance of a of a of a manager by doing that as well. Thanks, Nick. Um, just the first question that's come through online. So why is there a currency risk? Are you raising funds from offshore or lending offshore? Uh, there's not a currency risk as such, if I understand the question. Well, I mean, we, mm. we do Australian dollar loans. If we do, you know, we've, we do own some assets um, as, as Qualitas, you know, overseas, but there's obviously currency risk, which is hedged. But yep. um, I don't... If I understand the question, I don't think... Yeah, yeah. yeah no. It's okay. not... Um, there's no sort of currency risk. We do take money from overseas investors, but that arrives with us as Australian dollars and we lend it as Australian dollars. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And just the another question uh, online. So what percent of a portfolio should be allocated to private debt and is it funded from fixed income or equities? I mean, it's a good question. I mean, that's probably for, for you guys to decide. You're the, um, you guys are the specialists on, on that sort of thing. 
Um, I'm just sort of presenting a, a, yeah. a case that this is what it should be. But, uh, you know, my view is, is it's, it's, it is alternate, but it is, it is income, right? So it's, yeah, um, yeah it is different places will present it in, or, or have it in different parts of the portfolio. Yeah. Perhaps so, just part of a more esoteric form of fixed income. It's got income, capital preservation, some yeah. downside qualities. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, just, a, just another question that's come through online. So what are the key reasons traditional lenders, uh, which would be banks, are retreating from commercial real estate debt? Yeah, look, it's got a lot to do with the regula 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 regulators um, asking them to apply more capital to those loans, and they're just not, um, uh, they just can't generate enough income or, or profit out of doing those. So, and they're very rigid with their policy. Um, a lot of the loans that, um, you know, I come from a, a trading bank in terms of CBA group, and a lot of the loans mm -hmm. we did there, um, kind of eight eight years ago, are very similar to what we're doing here. So the, the policy's being eroded away, um, and you know it's very hard to fit in with bank policy, and that's got a lot to do with regulatory pressure. Nick, there tends to be quite low interest rate duration or interest rate sensitivity in these type of portfolios. What about credit spread duration? Uh, well, it's anywhere between uh, you know 12 months and 36 months is when you get to sort of reset that right and and obviously the shorter dated the loan the more chance you know you've you get to reset it after 12 months or 24 months so depending on what it is um, depending on the riskiness of the transaction you'd probably go a shorter dated loan and especially during COVID that's what a lot of lenders have done they've gone with shorter dated loans because you just don't know what's around the corner at the moment um, I think lenders are probably willing to push that out a little bit. Um, not as much as banks, obviously banks funding pretty mainstream assets, they're happy to do three and five years. I think with, with sort of non-bank lenders, it's probably more that 12 to 36 months before you reconsider that, that risk spread, yeah.